0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Take with
2: I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What well, I learned
0: at 20 is you
1: Welcome to the Equity Mates Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Comsec, the home of investing. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well-known companies from around the world. Each episode, we'll be unpacking one company with one expert investor, we'll be learning from their process, and we'll be hearing why they like the company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? Uh, Bryce, I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to this episode. Me too. The
3: Motley Fool is certainly divisive. Divisive or divisive? Divisive. I say divisive. Either way, let's have- (laughs) That's a divisive word. (laughs) (laughs) On one hand, their ads are- uh, Effective. (laughs) Effective, but mocked. Um, Yes. But on the other hand, I think they've produced some of the best- finance content producers in Australia. Yeah, uh, analysts. Yeah, Owen Rask from Rask Australia is ex motley Full. Claude yep. uh, from uh, A Rich Life. Andrew Page from yep. Strawman. Matt Johas at Maven Funds Management. We're not going to speak to any of those people today. <laughs> <so>.
0: <laughs> nice. But...
3: Um, <laughs> But I think uh, what, what you can see from that is that the Motley Fool is really good at teaching their employees, their analysts, how to analyze companies. Yeah. And we are speaking to the head honcho of Motley Fool Australia here. He's the chief investment officer at the Motley Fool Australia. You've probably seen him in the media. It's Scott Phillips. Yeah. And he's joining us to take us through Corporate travel management. So, hopefully, we can learn and become as good at experts as all of those that I just listed.
1: (laughs) I love hearing from Scott. Now, the Equity Mate Summer Series is proudly supported by Comsec. The beauty of investing is that you do not need a degree to get started and to be successful. You can educate yourself. Comsec has a rich library of resources for you to stock up on tips and tools to help you find and research a stock and understand the stock market. Get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades for the Australian market when you join. Download the Comsec app today or visit comsec.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply.
3: Now, we need to remind you that while we are licensed, we are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general, except if Scott tells us what the next afterpay is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bryce, before we speak to Scott Phillips and ask if corporate travel management is the next (laughs) afterpay, let's unpack a little bit about corporate travel management. Good news. There's a lot of what the company is, is in the
1: title. That's right. Corporate travel management are a travel management company that are incorporated. not well, <laughs> yeah, even for more corporates. for corporates. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Started in Australia. Now there are uh, in the US and the UK. They're, they're all over the world. Yeah, it's been a it's a, a global company and one that, to be honest, I th- as far as I remember investing, they have been around, always up there as like a keep an eye on.
3: Yeah, as long as I remember, Scott Phillips he has spoken about corporate travel management. There was like a real moment of nostalgia when he said this is the company he was going to do because yeah. I feel like he's had his eye on this one for a while. Yeah, Where well, yeah. he's a shareholder. Okay, cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> let's take a step back. Um, for people who work at big corporates, yeah. you probably have used this system or a system very similar to it. To talk to my experience, whenever you had to book travel, you... It was essentially like a search function Mm -hmm. and you searched for flights or you searched for hotels or you searched for hire cars. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't take the cheapest option that was presented, you had to get GM approval and explain why (laughs) you didn't take the cheapest option. (laughs) But it was like, you know, uh, so Woolworths is quite closely tied with Qantas. Two bad companies. Um, Coles <laughs> was quite closely tied with Virgin. And so, you know, like we only saw Virgin flights and stuff like mm, that. Mm. And so that travel booking system, that corporate booking system, is essentially what corporate travel management is. Yeah. And then, you know, you'd try and buy it, you'd be sent off for approval. Um, and then you travel.
1: And that's it. That's it. They do it for you. Well,
3: then, no, then, then they'll do the back end of like costs as well. No, like, um, Receipts and stuff as well. Oh, or was like that a different for, for tax?
1: Like for the you, you mean for like like account keeping?
3: No, it's like oh, I bought lunch. Can I get reimbursed for that?
1: Oh, I see. Um, can't remember when we did that. I think we just flick a flick a message through to the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our receipts. Anyway, <laughs> Ren, right, the company's been around for over thirty years. I think they're in their thirtieth year of operation at the moment. As we said, they're very much a global company. Now they have client base of five thousand seven hundred clients around the world, 17 million transactions in FY24. I mean, this is just a long-term compounder. And I think, you know, it's one of those companies that got really smashed up in COVID. Yeah. Because obviously corporate travel was a thing of the past. No one was flying anywhere.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's like the the travel, they got knocked as a travel stock mm. and then they got an additional knock because of the question around the long-term effect on... Corporate, corporate travel, yeah. yeah. yeah,
1: That whole, you know, this has just proven bi- people don't need to fly business to, for, yeah, a, yeah. for a lunchtime meeting. Like
3: for every headline that Zoom got, corporate travel management was kicked in the guts again. Yeah. Is that too graphic? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> However, that has changed. We know that more and more people are flying and uh, things are much more back to the way they used to be and, and as such corporate travel is certainly back up where it used to be
3: yeah so it ipo'd in 2010 since then it's 26x its revenue and 47 times it's EBITDA so almost profit <laughs> with a few things taken out <laughs> um, but it's it's just been like an incredible growth story no debt cash on the balance sheet and it's just growing. It's grown from being a Australian-based company. Now, about 80% of its revenue is generated offshore. In every region that it operates in, it has over a billion dollars in bookings. So, it's very geographically diversified. According to the company, it's now the fourth or fifth largest travel management company in the world.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, it's... Up against the booking coms or no I reckon it would in be corporate. in
3: the in the travel management platform space. Mm, mm. Yeah. But Couldn't tell you another one though.
1: <laughs> no, me either. I'm trying to think what we actually had if if we had corporate travel when we were at Woolies. So yeah, it's hard to tell if we were, but here's a few. Uh, corporate traveler. Travel perk. I don't know. I've just Googled. <laughs> I don't know which one are the big ones. <laughs> So I think the story for it from here is just how can it continue to grow its market share globally? And there are probably niches that it can further operate in, like uh, how can we support travel for particular industries? Mm. They've sort of been acquiring businesses and and we'll ask Scott about that when we bring him in. But, you know, they're they're pretty well established here in Australia. So I guess the long-term investment thesis would be center around how can it continue to expand globally and and just keep continuing to compound?
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. It's like the the corporate travel market, like the market for business travel will continue to grow as more businesses, just as the economy grows um, and as the population grows. The question as an investor is how can corporate travel management grow faster than just the market? They've done it so far. It's not like a particularly sexy company.
1: That's okay. That's
3: okay though. Yes. Yeah.
1: They, the company said that global corporate travel, they expect the market to grow at 7.9% per annum from now through to FY26. So pretty decent clip.
3: Yeah. Now, one thing before we get into it, corporate travel management also do a lot of work for governments and they have been in some controversy earlier this year The Ethical Super Fund here in Australia, Future Super, actually divested its holdings of corporate travel management due to their involvement in the Bibi Stockholm. Now, do you know what that is, Bryce? Let's see how well you've been following the news. No. It's a barge in the UK where they were housing asylum seekers.
1: Okay. Sorry, so what's the relationship to corporate travel? I
3: think corporate travel management organized... Because they do a lot of government bookings. They do a lot oh, of work for governments. They were the
1: middleman in organizing the logistics.
3: Yeah. So like they do, yeah, a lot of that kind of work. I think they do work for governments around the world. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Well, let's bring in Scott Phillips. To-
3: you couldn't get off that topic fast enough, <laughs> could you? <Yeah.
1: laughs> Before we chat to Scott, ComSec is the home of investing. And if you want to start small, you can through the ComBank app. You can invest with as little as $50. Consistent, small amounts can add up to meaningful returns. Visit combank.com.au for more. Comsec T's and C's, and other fees and charges apply.
3: We'll be right back with Scott after this short break.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. We're here with Scott Phillips. Scott, welcome to Equity Mates.
2: Bryce, Alec, thank you for having me back. It's been a while, guys, but I love what you guys are doing on the podcast and very happy to be part of it. It has been a while. I would mm. say
1: COVID mm. was the last time we had you on the show. You were at FinFest, which, yeah. was, which was fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: COVID, I think. It
2: was COVID because it was literally right in the middle of Lockdowns, and I'm outside Sydney. You guys are in Sydney. I think part of it was kind of like trying to work out whether we could meet and where we could do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally wow.
1: Anyway, good to have you back. Now we're here to talk uh, corporate travel management. So, Scott, can you mm-hmm. firstly just tell us what corporate travel management does?
2: Yes, uh, Australia is very good at naming companies pretty literally. And in this case, uh, corporate travel management's done exactly. I'm a shower in, in Australian ethical investments, which funnily enough does that. Aussie Broadband does broadband <laughs> for Australians. Uh, corporate travel management, unsurprisingly. Uh, You know, I don't don't love the kind of made-up corporate names, actually. You know, the whole, the the vowels are missing and everyone insists in their own capitalization. So corporate travel management's kind of cool because that's what it does. It is literally a travel manager, largely online, but with a call center and kind of, you know, uh, relationship managers for corporates, for companies. Generally speaking, medium to large businesses. They do a little bit with smaller businesses, but to really benefit from corporate travel scale and from them to benefit from those customers, they tend to be the more medium, large businesses, and increasingly over the last probably five or six years, many, many, many more multinational and truly international businesses. They now have operations right around the world, every continent. They either have direct or or indirect relationships with customers, so they they kind of are now globally, uh, you know, uh, based. Corporate travel manager, quite literally, who basically fund you know, if, if you're part of a big company and you want to book a trip, book a hotel, go somewhere, you use corporate travel management's software, or by the way, one of their competitors to make that booking. Uh, it handles all things like approvals and travel policies, all that kind of stuff. Some of your corporate listeners are having flashbacks right yeah, now or maybe cold sweats <laughs> I because am. this is going to be pretty ugly, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that's what they do. They basically just provide the, the backbone, the kind of systems and processes to allow companies to facilitate their travel bookings.
3: Mm. So conceptually not the most difficult to like get your head <laughs> no, around a company and as you said, the, the yeah. name uh, gives it away. Mm. But where the rubber hits the road is when we start to try and analyse it as an investment opportunity. So yes. when you approach corporate travel management as an investor, what's mm. the most important things you're looking at? It? What metrics are the ones that you pay attention to? How do you analyse it?
2: So this is a great question. I... There are some things that are generic about most investments I'm looking for, anyway, and then there are some specifics about corporate travel, and so I'll talk about them in that context because I think, regardless of what the company actually does, not that it doesn't matter, but the same sorts of metrics are what you're looking for, right? So you want a, a business that ideally is growing, unless you're a deep value investor trying to find 80 cent uh, dollars. So you're looking for you're looking for top and bottom line growth. You're looking for returns on, in theory, assets or, or equity, most preferably, allowing, of course, for the debt that a company may carry. So, again, I'm not going to get deep into the into the metrics and, and return ratios, but you're looking for a business that has the ability to grow, that has decent returns on its capital in whatever form, and a business that's able to grow, or maintain, and then grow profit margins. And I know that kind of sounds like a really generic answer, but I think it's important to not skip over that stuff that is not company specific because it really underpins what we're looking for. And I think a company that can deliver, I say, I talk about growth and I say companies that are more relevant to more people more often. And those three are kind of really important, right? So more relevant, you've got more things, um, more more people, obviously, you want to have a large number of customers and more often you want repeat purchase from your businesses. And if you can get those three together, you're in a pretty good place. So that's the revenue line. Ideally, then you want a business that can grow profit by scaling efficiently. And in a perfect world, you want profit growth that exceeds revenue growth because your costs grow at a slower rate Than your top line. Now, in the last 18 months, that's been pretty difficult for a whole lot of companies because inflation is a real thing. And just keeping up with inflation has been a victory in some industries. For corporate travel, uh, they've been a little bit better than that, but we'll get to COVID in a minute. Speaking of COVID, the business though, so growing profits faster than top line growth is important. And so that's kind of a really straight line view. And again, returns on assets or equity. I'm looking generally for more than 15% if I can find it more than 20% preferably because those are the very best businesses. And that really measures a company's ability to take shareholder capital and turn it into a cash flow for shareholders, right? So the higher, the better generally for that. Mm. So that's kind of the generic stuff I'm looking for. Balance sheet-wise, and this is important for corporate travel too, particularly compared to some of its compatriots, a reasonably conservative balance sheet. The thing they call a lazy balance sheet in the good times that all of a sudden becomes salvation in the bad times and corporate travel had that experience in 2020 and 2021. And a, and a business is able to kind of collect on its debts. Again, not surprisingly, you don't want accounts receivable to be going through the roof or a company that's growing by taking you know shortcut kind of revenue growth without being able to collect the cash. So that's a kind of a bit dry and boring summary, but those are, I think, the most important parts of investing. If you don't get that, the other kind of company-specific metrics are interesting and worthwhile and help you understand the business but don't always get you the basics that really matter. So I'll turn to to corporate travel specifically here, and they're doing a few things. So it's a slightly different business. I'll start from the very, very top. Travel businesses measure what they call total Mm -hmm. transaction value. Now, if you're a a travel manager, like a flight center, for example, or Webjet or corporate travel, something else, you take a whole lot of money from your customers most of that, though, goes straight through to the accommodation or flight providers, transport providers. And so you might say, I take $100 worth of transaction value, but that's kind of effectively the ticket price of flying from, well, nowhere for $100 these days, but let's <laughs> pretend. Uh, <laughs> Sydney to Melbourne, for example, is $100. So that's the total transaction value. Corporate travel books that value of cash transferring through the business. It only keeps a, fraction, a tiny fraction of that. But the total transaction value tells you how much the customers are spending with corporate travel management over time. So that's an important starting point. Why I raise that is because when you get to revenue, the revenue is the tiny proportion of that TTV or total transaction value the company gets to keep. And that margin, that percentage is actually a really important thing to track. Over time, the company's suppliers, airlines, hotels, will try desperately to pay it less money for making that transaction. So you want to understand what proportion of that value they're getting to keep. And again, different types of business, domestic travel versus international travel, events versus hotels. These things all have different margins, different uh, revenue margins from that TTV. So that's a really, really important metric. The next thing I look at is both the international size and international growth. So for corporate travel, because it relies, it's not a cheap stock by traditional metrics, and we might get to that in a minute, but... It, it's relying on growth. We are paying a decent premium for a business that we think can grow for a long time. By the way, I should have said this up front, I own shares, so let me put that on the record very, very, very clearly so everyone knows exactly where my incentives are here. I think it's a great company, by the way. That's why I'm talking about it, but everyone needs to know that, you know, I've got skin in the game here, so I'm not unbiased. The company's growth, you need to get growth. And and it's not only going to come largely internationally, not only, but if you think about a business that's already pretty mature in Australia... It's now more than 20 years old. It's done a really, really good job of taking market share in Australia. But a lot of the growth now comes from overseas. So you want to look regionally at where is the growth coming from and how big are those individual regions relative not only to Australia, because that needs to be more relevant over time, but compared to the size of those individual markets. Now, we know that the US population, for example, is 15 times the size of Australia. So on a like-for-like market share, You get a sense of how big that could be. The UK, three times the size of Australia. Europe, you know, a billion or so people there. So you start to think about the size of the prize in that context. So understanding international growth, the US is already bigger than Australia and New Zealand. Europe is probably only a year or two away from that. So for a business that was born in Brisbane and grew in Australia predominantly for years to now have its third largest region be Australia and New Zealand is is, is pretty impressive growth wise. The last thing I'll talk about with corporate travel guys specifically, we can get to others if you want, but is the combination of growth coming from organic versus acquired growth. And corporate travel is not a roll-up in a traditional sense, and I don't know if you guys have covered roll-ups much, but basically there's one model for largely financial engineering, which is you know if you're a childcare center operator, for example, is the classic one. You got one, you buy a second, you buy a fifth, you buy a tenth, you buy a twentieth, you get really nice scale that way. Now, whether it actually generates real ongoing profit growth as opposed to just a one-off step change is a really big question. When it comes to corporate travel, you want to see both of those things. And generally speaking, they've done a pretty good job of growing both at roughly the same pace over time. So organic growth, which is the same business they had this time last year, how are are they getting more customers? Are the customers spending more money? Are they keeping their customers? That's really important. The other part of the thesis was always they could buy relatively inexpensive businesses to acquire with compatible cultures, compatible systems that enlarge their global footprint. And by doing that, you actually get a whole lot more value for the company because they're, they're taking that and using that to grow long-term, not just one of acquisition growth, but then be able to organically grow that business as well. So if I've, if I've done a good enough job explaining that, the combination of acquired growth and organic growth, really important to understand because that is going to generate returns for the long-term but it also tells you how that growth's been done. Acquired growth is never as good as organic growth, generally speaking, because you can buy any business, right? If you pay up enough, you can buy it. Now, corporate drivers had a pretty good job, I think, but you and I could go out tomorrow, buy nine newspapers and say, look how big our publishing business is. Look, look how much we've grown it. So like, no, you guys borrowed a lot of money and bought Fairfax. That's not the way it works, right? Versus saying, actually, for the products we've already got, our listener numbers have gone up by X percent over a year. That's genuine organic growth. And so neither is bad, neither is necessarily good, But both together in a reasonable combination is what you want to think about and look for and make sure those acquisitions, maybe this is the last one, the acquisitions are priced well. If they're going to make the acquisitions, they're not overpaying for it. Speaking of childcare centres, we saw G8 Education, Uh, one of the the kind of followers of of ABC Learning, which we don't want to talk about too much anymore. And G8 kind of had to pay more and more and more for larger centres as it wanted to get bigger. And so the economics actually got worse rather than better over time, even as they grew scale. So understanding not only where the growth's coming from and how much you're paying for that growth is really, really important.
1: Mm. So a lot of, uh, I guess, elements in there, Scott, that build the investment thesis and and the bull case, Mm -hmm. and they've done a pretty good job at establishing themselves here in Australia. And it feels like the thesis now revolves around... uh, them expanding internationally and to some of the larger mm-hmm. markets, what is their competitive advantage when going into US and UK where you're obviously going to be facing a lot stronger competition than than here in Australia?
2: That is a fantastic question. So a couple of things going on there. The first is they pride themselves on the culture that they've built. They, uh, they tend to win awards all over the place for employee culture, not just relationships with their customers. They also, though, tend to win customer awards and their retention is really high. So if you roll that together, one of the parts of the secret sauce for corporate travel is the ability to attract and retain good people and to attract and retain customers, keep people on the books, right? The cost of acquisition is one thing, but if you can keep those customers around for years, which they tend to do, you make a lot of money. The acquisitions they've done have largely been to give them a footprint in certain geographies or certain industries. Quite a few years ago now, they bought a travel agent that specialised in government in the US based in, I think it was Washington or Virginia or Maryland, somewhere like that. And so they said, well, we don't have a thing there. Let's do that thing. But then let's take the corporate travel management culture. And then the second one is the systems that they have. So they run proprietary booking systems. I spoke to the CEO, Jamie Ferris, about two or three months ago. He said they've reskinned the entire system every five years or so. They literally rebuild it each five years to make sure they stay at the forefront of technology. And so if you kind of combine the culture they've got, which goes both internally and then is kind of, you know, customer-facing, and the systems they've got, that's tended to be their success in the past. Now the company also claims, and we can't really verify this externally, but the company says they only make acquisitions where the cultures fit. Ferris has said before that he's knocked back acquisitions which might have made financial sense but didn't have a uh, you know a cultural fit that made corporate travel management feel like they could buy this thing and use it to expand, you know, this land and expand kind of or acquire and expand, if you like, really use it successfully. And so that's probably, those areas are, are where the real advantage is, but it's largely culture and systems. End of the day, travel booking systems are a dime a dozen. You know, again, the three of us could sit down for a week and come up with something using some off-the-shelf open source things. Now, maybe it wouldn't be very good because I'm not a great programmer, but you get the idea. You know, so, so what makes them different? They they have great relationships with customers. They keep customers for ages. Here's the thing. You actually pay corporate travel to use their system. Now, If you can convince someone to pay to use you rather than jump on Webjet yourself and to do it yourself or get your staff to do it themselves, there's got to be real value there. And most of their customers actually pay corporate travel and still save money. So it's a kind of a really, really nice, this is not necessarily unique to them, but if you think about that idea of I'm going to pay you and be better off after I've paid you, that's a pretty sticky business, right? Because it sort of says you can save the fee, but you're going to cost yourself more in time, effort, energy... Bookings outside policy, reporting, all that kind of stuff. You kind of become a not quite as sticky as enterprise software or anything, but it's a pretty sticky offering that businesses say, well, it costs a bit of money, but you are saving more than that. Why wouldn't we stay with corporate travel? Hmm. And that seems to have been the case for most of their customers for most of their life.
3: Yeah, I was looking at their uh, FY23 numbers, and I think their hmm. client retention rate was 97%. And so if you can, you know, if you can win new business and keep 97% of your existing business, Stoked. that's pretty powerful. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's even it's even more extraordinary because it's easy to replace, right? Like a, if you have a zero yeah. or something that's really like fundamentally one of those enterprise software systems, a Siebel for those who you know it, or one of those, they're so deeply embedded. You couldn't rip those things out. Like it's so hard to replace an enterprise planning system because it's tentacles everywhere. That's great stickiness corporate travel software isn't really as sticky as those. It doesn't doesn't deserve in and of itself to have a 97% retention rate because it's too hard to get rid of. You could pretty much change to a flight center model or an Amex model, American Express, do travel management, something like that reasonably easily with not as much pain as you'd imagine. So to keep those sort of customer numbers without that real lock-in business model, I mean, there's probably elements of lock-in, but nowhere near as much as those other guys. And yet, When you you keep or you only lose three out of 100 customers every year, it's a pretty nice position to be in.
3: Mm. So then let's turn to the other side of the story. Where are Mm -hmm. the key risks for you and what would be the signs that your thesis is breaking?
2: Yeah, this is great. So, and there's lots, right? And I think this is, I'm glad you're asking the question because it's easy for someone like me or anyone who likes a stock to talk about why they like it. But you want to understand the downsides. I think, firstly, is key man risk. Jamie Ferris has built this business from the ground up. He's still a relatively young bloke, so I hope he's around for a long time. But I love founder-led companies for a reason, right? They just tend to have more passion, more insight, more drive. They tend to put up with less corporate BS. You get less bureaucracy built up around it. Um, he, he is absolutely the driving force behind corporate travel management. I think he, he is probably, uh, numbers aside, he is the biggest risk To the thesis, if he was to leave and the business was to deteriorate meaningfully, that'd be a very, very big red flag. So that's probably the the major one. Second one is their ability. I talked about acquired and organic growth. If the organic growth number starts to suffer on a secular as opposed to cyclical level, um, now we're going to go through some tougher economic times. So we need to separate those two out. Any business exposed to the economy is going to do worse when... The economy does worse, but that's just the reality. And if you're in, if you're in travel, what's well, it's easier to cancel than, than corporate travels, right? You, your business travels goes off the cliff, and, and they may well struggle for a, a year or two. But on a secular level, in other words, they're losing market share rather than just losing sales because the economy is down. Uh, that's a really important one. So the gro- secular growth rate needs to stay reasonably high for a reasonably long period of time because we're paying a decent multiple. It's not a super expensive multiple, but it's enough that if it you know if it grew at four percent a year from here on in, I'm going to lose money. You know, so it's, it's a, that's a really really important one. I mentioned growth, and I guess the flip side of that, or it's almost the other side of the same coin, is market share. This is a very one of the great things I didn't mention the bull case, but it's a very 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 fragmented global industry. Even the biggest guys have maybe high single digit, low double digit market shares. There is a lot of market have to go up. That being said, if they if they stop being the preferred player, or a preferred player. That consolidation they can potentially lead or at least do very, very well from may well fall over and that's that's a big issue. And you kind of already, Alec, you mentioned kind of the, the key one actually, which is that retention rate. You know, they, they need to retain a large number of their customers to make the additional customers they get worth something. They're growing at 10 or 12% a year probably underlying separate to the COVID impact of the last few years. If that customer retention rate fell at 90%, all you end up doing is replacing the customers you're losing and then it becomes a no-growth business. So you can see they're all they're all kind of fitting into each other in a in a way. But again, going back to that first thing I mentioned, more customers, more relevant to more people more often. That idea, if you can keep doing that, you're okay. If you stop doing that, then you are in some, not just even in corporate trouble, but the investment thesis itself relies on that growth. Uh, so you need that to come off. The last one's probably those acquisitions I talked about. And often the bear case is the opposite of the bull case. You know, if if this goes well, we'll do well. If this goes badly, then we're in trouble. That's true of acquisitions. If they start paying too much for those acquisitions, the big risk is as you get bigger, you want to make bigger acquisitions to make them meaningful, right? Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, I own shares in that too, doesn't invest anything less than, what is it, $100 million or whatever it is a is, $1 billion, because even if it did really, really, really well, it wouldn't move the dial. Yeah. The problem with that is that they have to make bigger bets if they're going to acquire businesses to make it worthwhile And that in itself means that you're kind of upping the stakes each time. It's almost like roulette, right? Anything times zero is eventually worth zero. So if you're on a winning streak, you're okay. But if you get those acquisitions wrong, if you acquire the wrong business, you pay too much, the culture isn't right, then you really can damage this business for the long term. Thus far, they haven't done that. But those are probably the biggest watchouts, I think, in terms of the business. There is probably a, a larger secular one, which is less easy to see, but something to be really aware of, which is any change in corporate behavior. Now, I I happen to believe that we saw, frankly, post the COVID lockdown period, people jump back on planes and cruise ships a million miles an hour, right? And I'm I'm shaking my head going, you jump back on a floating petri dish, what are you people doing? (laughs) Now, I wouldn't do it. Plenty of people did, and no no criticism to anyone who's listening who did, but uh, the the simple reality is people, human behavior is human behavior. Salespeople want to make sales. People want to meet in person. You know, those things are real, and I think that's likely to continue, but- back to the bear case, which is what we're talking about, if there was to be a meaningful, concerted change in the way people meet, whether it's environmental, whether it's cost, whether it's employee friendliness, people just don't want to anymore, at last you got to be in the office four times a year type stuff. Then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where corporate travel as a concept, not like corporate travel management, the business, but the concept starts to wane and if it does, then there are significant concerns for the growth rate of that business. Well,
1: luckily for corporate travel, Scott, uh, the metaverse hasn't taken off as, uh, <laughs> as, as was expected 12 months Not just ago. Yet. Not just yet. <laughs> well, to close out, if the ambitions play out and I guess that bear case doesn't come to fruition, mm-hmm. what do you expect mm-hmm. or what would you hope to see from corporate travel in 10
2: years' time? That's a great question. I uh, genetically hate making predictions like that sort of stuff, so I'm going to probably politely reject the premise of your question, as the politicians <laughs> might say. But I will give you an answer. I will give you an answer. Um, I, I, look, I think you know my investing style is to be roughly right rather than precisely wrong. So if we if we go back to a little bit of what I've already talked about, they are a very high quality business with a great culture. Thus far, the acquisition discipline has been very good. There's no reason to believe that will change anytime soon, in my view, as long as Jamie hangs around again, back to that bear case. So if all that's true, I can be roughly right rather than precisely wrong. There is a, I think this is a growing market. I don't think Metaverse takes over. I think people travel <laughs> more and spend more money doing it. So you're in an industry with secular growth. You're in an industry where market shares are relatively tiny compared to, you know, there's a time Woolies and Coles weren't 40% market share in, in supermarkets, by the way. Uh, you know, there was a time when, when these things weren't so big. I would imagine there is plenty of room for corporate travel to double and double and probably double again in terms of revenue. That's probably was that eight, yeah, maybe that, maybe not quite that much. Maybe there's an easy probably four-bagger, maybe five for them in revenue terms, which if they do if things right, should actually deliver seven, eight, nine times profit. And again, no predictions, no time frames. But if you think conceptually about, about what that future might look like, I think there's plenty of runway to go. And I think. While they continue to acquire customers, we should be able to expect, um, I hope you're a shareholder in 10 years time. I've owned the shares for almost 10 years. I think it may just over now. If they're continuing to execute, there's no reason to believe the business model itself can't continue to roll out the way it is. The growth rate probably slows as you get bigger. The old saying, elephants can't dance and trees don't go to the scribes. Yeah, Choose your metaphor. So the growth rate itself probably slows, but the size of the business relative to now the multiples of, of revenue and hopefully profit we could be in for should still be sufficient to believe that in 10 years' time, this is one worth holding. I don't think it needs to be an excessive PE at that point to do really well from here. So more of the same. And if they can do it for a decade, I think investors will be in for a treat.
3: Love it, nice. Scott. Well, let's hope you're more roughly right than precisely wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like that saying. Yeah, we good. might, we might and, borrow it.
1: And more relevant, to- more people- more often, more often. Yeah, there you yes. go. I like that. There we too. go. There you go. One <laughs> nice. episode. Thanks, yeah, we'll love
3: it, Scott. We'll um, we'll be watching. Hopefully, one day Equity Mates is big enough to use corporate <laughs> travel <laughs> management services. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure, well before then, we'll get you back on the show uh, to chat more investing.
2: Yeah, thanks, Scott. That sounds awesome. I would have thought with a thousand employees, you guys are using it already. But maybe <laughs> end. <maybe two> thousand eight. <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: Don't know what Equity Mates
2: are <laughs> <you're> looking at.
3: <laughs> thanks, mate. <laughs> Now, before we go, we want to say a huge thanks to our summer series partner, ComSec, the home of investing. If you're looking for more support and resources to build confidence in the market, head to their content hub. Otherwise, you can get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades for Aussie markets when you join, brokerage on US stocks from just $5 US dollars, and you can invest as little as $50 through the ComBank app. Download the ComBank app today or visit combank.com.au. ComSec, T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. Investing in overseas markets exposes you to additional risk.
1: Now stick around because the companies keep flowing. We've got Fraser Christie from TDM Growth Partners to unpack mineral resources in our next episode.